You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscani, and occasionally, hello, Kelly. Kelly's here. She does all the work. I'm the show pony. She's the draft horse. Now, occasionally, Kelly, we get this fascinating emails from listeners. They are out there. And this is a good one from Greg, which I thought I'd read out. It's about last week's uh, interview, which was a repeat. It says, Dear Joan Kelly, I added the Kelly. Oh, oh did you? I was going to say, <laughs> I've got, I got, got a mention there. Of course you did, Joan jo Kelly. <laughs> the guest is not here. Just shut up, guest. Don't open your mouth. Don't pretend you're here. I heard you... Yeah, it is a comedy show. I heard your interview with Jack Charles yesterday. That was last week. You couldn't get a word in sideways, edgeways. Finally, someone who could out-talk you. Blessed relief. A perfect guest. You didn't have to do anything, say anything. What a gracious, dignified man. Courteous and calm, despite and in spite of all he has known. A true witness for the prosecution. His demure disarming. He is no fool. His permanent smile, his alter ego, mocks us. Beneath that smile, I see the content contempt for us whites and so he should i was born in 1958 didn't have a bloody clue grew up in white australia not knowing anything of their past not our past we don't own their past they do we took it made it our own fashioning it to our heart's desire i'm ashamed to be an australian i am the beneficiary of all their dispossession john howard couldn't say sorry because he said it wasn't our fault yes john we have benefited enormously from something that wasn't our fault. Still do to this day. We had a concentration camps here. They put a church on it and called it a mission. Mission impossible. I left Australia in 1989, never to return. Things that had worked out in Europe I would still be there. I am European, not Australian. Jack Charles is Australian. I have no claim to it. Please forgive us, Jack, for we know not what we do. The fatal shore, Greg. All right, thank you, Greg. Great response. And this is what I keep telling you, Ellie. Ellie, Kelly, Ellie, Kelly. That we Let's get that gentleman on the show. Who? Ned Kelly. Greg. 
Yeah, maybe. We'll talk to you about it. I've got a phone right. number there. We'll have a chat. Now, we do have a guest, and we've taken up three minutes of his time, Mr. Anthony Antonio Tony Millman. How art thou? Good afternoon, young man. How do you know it's afternoon? Well, I'm just getting a feeling. All right. You always get a feeling knowing you. Now, look, those of you who recognise the voice, yes, he is a recidivist, but I have been accused of detesting music. Mm. It's true. You don't like it. Although I do have a song inspired by Jack Charles. Do you? Well, that's perfect. We could do that as we go along. Now, Tony, we don't know, want to know much about you because we spoke to you, what, five years ago? Yes, I'm bored already. Yeah, I'm, look, you think you're bored. I've fallen asleep. This is, <laughs> this is actually, this is not me. You're mumbling now, now, in I, your dreams. Now, I'm going to ask you a trick question. Shoot. Who was the singer that introduced Well, I'm just going to guess that it was Helen Reddy. No. Well... I'm all out of guesses. Come on. I am. Great Australian singer from the 60s and 70s. Her, is it Renee Gale? No, great. I reckon she's greater than those two. Because this one's more down to earth more, and more of an activist. All right. Come I, on. I am a guest, so I'll keep guessing. Yes. Yes. Can I suggest to you, uh, is an Australian singer? Of course. Who else would lead the program? And we have interviewed her on the program. She was gracious enough to come in. Really? Mm. She's over 70 now. And uh, her hit tune, which she didn't write, which she was bitched about because she gets no royalties, was Girls in Our Town. Oh, yes. What a mournful and um, sentimentally devastating tune that is. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea of the singer's name. How about first name Margaret? Margaret. Road Knight. Very good. Yes, that's who I meant to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he failed that question. Now, now, yes. Tony, now, Tony, how old are you? How old are you? Uh, 55. God, have you got a real job yet? No. Oh, I understand that... Nothing that um, four decades without real employment or a good night's sleep really, yeah. can't testify to. Uh, you're one of those pathetic professional musicians who doesn't make any money. No, but I do like to hang out at the airport with an empty guitar case to see if I can attract some kind of attention. Yeah, security mainly. <laughs> <laughs> these days. Yeah, these days. Only... Chaps from Wilson's or yeah, some other. Yeah. All the Commonwealth police would come out yeah. know, and say, what are you doing here? We're What's all in like... your guitar case? Is there a bomb there? I <laughs> say, so wouldn't you like to know? Oh, that's the last thing you want to say. By that time, you've been clubbed to the ground, handcuffed and yes. removed. These days, if you want to be on a first-name basis with anyone else who has mm. gainful employment, you have mm. to accept the handcuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, I don't want you to mention the crew, but I understand that you've been um, interviewed for a job, and I'd just like you to share that experience. You can mention the company that's doing the interviewing for this government department. Well, there are a number of HR interfaces to some departments of the government these days. HR interfaces, I like that. Which take care of the outsourced uh, tasks of checking people's backgrounds as they apply for work within our government departments. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, some of those services are supplied by companies uh, by the name of Probe 
or circo. Oh. And that is indeed... <laughs> you know, when you use the word probe, I yes. think of anal probe. Do you? Yes. I think of my colorectal days when I was, <laughs> when I was assisting a colorectal surgeon. Every time he said, probe! Yes. Anal probe. Well, it's a necessary tool for good health. Well, no, it's a necessary tool to see what's going on. If, yeah. you've, got, if you've got problems down there. But go on, they, so there's this probe. Oh, that's a very adequate... So they probe you, do they? They do. They're very thorough. And uh, the kind of information, the kind of um, identification and information that you are required to uh, provide these Mm. days Mm. for what was once upon a time, um, you know, a fairly easygoing kind of induction is now very, very thorough. And um, and it's all done without, um, especially these days, being in a room with a, another person and it's mm. done without the sound of a human voice. It's all conducted by by mm. text and email. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's a and very I, and long I, and it, difficult. It's actually a very difficult process to apply for work these days. You have to have a lot of documentation to substantiate who you are, uh-huh. where you are, where you have been, and um, it, it requires computer resources, a lot of time, an enormous amount of unpaid time to go through this process. And uh, the outcome, of course, is not... I didn't know you were a friend of Scotty Morrison. Well, it got me wondering... Yeah, because I assume you were applying to be head of department. If you've got to go for all this shit, it wasn't some shit job in some shit public service, was it? It was a simple job. A simple job. Not head of department? No, nothing... for, For Scotty, nothing like that? Nothing. And you have to go through all this shit. That's right. It's just very basic uh, well, working. Did you do this at home? Did you? Or, or you I did. Go to do... A little office or somewhere. I actually spent time at home, and uh, when I ran out of data on my mobile phone, I went up to the local library to use their bandwidth to continue the application process. And um, right. Right. and all the while, I had to feel uh, field uh, inquiries from the job service provider that I was. And I assume with as well. at the end of the interview, if you don't get the job, they remove all that information, don't they? Or they keep it, do they? Probe and circo? Well, I don't know what the policy is, but if I was um, conducting that kind of um, business activity, Mm. it would be um, tempting and probably good for efficiency for future application to be able to be allowed to hold that information for for future reference. Mm, Like all eternity, and and then you could sell it to somebody else, couldn't you? uh, Well, it's... Potentially oh. illegal or potentially legal. Oh. So this is what... The, I do know that there are rules about that sort of thing. Rules? Yes. Oh, and, uh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Rules? <laughs> I'm amazed. Rules. Now, Tony, I don't want to bore... I just, just wanted to... Sh- <laughs> I mean, you, you did... But there is a lot now to go for a job. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're walking in off the street into a cafe to get a, a job bussing tables or pouring coffee... Um, Certainly, there's um, a lot more rapport and a lot more kind of immediate contact with your future employer. But then if you're kind of outside that and you're looking for work in um, a place that has um, some kind of corporate structure, it's it's profoundly um, intrepid in terms of the... um, the data that you have to provide right. and the way it gets verified. Yeah. It is um, mm. really a, a quite an eye-opening process. Yeah. Did it, I met a bloke called Bernie. 
in 2018 when we were doing um, the protests on the steps of Parliament House. And he's a gentleman in his 70s who's been homeless for over 20 years. And I asked him, I assumed he was on a pension of some type. He says no. He says he couldn't get a pension because he hasn't got any identification. Yeah. And he says he's been wandering the streets of Melbourne. You'll see him there wandering the streets for 20 years, basically living Mm. the best he can. Well, I worked briefly um, whilst uh, uh, for the Department of Housing at uh, the Malvern Flats back in 95, 96, while somebody took some leave, six weeks of leave, and I filled in for them. And um, we had many applications for housing, and some of it was quite urgent. And I remember one of many cases where the person was really quite desperate for a roof over their head and somewhere secure to live, and they applied for public housing. And I was unable to even process their application form because they currently had no fixed address. Mm-hmm. No fixed address, yeah. And, and that's why you'd be looking. That's why they that's why wanted accommodation. <laughs> So in order to have housing, you need to prove that you have a co- housing. Yes, they've changed that now. They can do it through a post office box. You can do it through an agency, but yeah, um, yeah. you may not have your um, mm. you may not have mm. the mm. identification to provide mm. to substantiate that, that you are supposedly who you are meant to be. It's not as easy as it sounds. No, it's very hard. It's, it's, hard. it's a challenge, especially now with COVID, when the the office, the bloody, what is it, the birth, deaths and marriages is closed. Well, I know someone trying to get a copy of their birth certificate. They've yeah. been waiting for months. Yeah. yeah. So many so many homeless folks wandering around the city that are not on, um, that are not getting any benefits from the social security system and mm. have no ID or their ID gets stolen. Yep. Mm. Happens all the time. Well, 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 I'd like to make the suggestion that the spectacle of abject homelessness and suffering mm. is an important component to spur the housing market. Mm. Because without that visual spectacle of the anxiety of the possibility that you might end up mm. without accommodation, inflation, the inflation of housing prices, especially investment properties, would not be as furious and as profitable as it is now. Mm. I mean, there are other provocations and inputs, but seeing people Mm. littering the streets, suffering without housing, makes people anxious and makes people more resolved to to save and throw themselves in the deep end Mm. of mortgages and investment. And it is truly hypocritical. Well, getting back to your... Situation. I know we spoke about it five years ago. Look, you've been on the margins now, society, for a very, very, very long time in terms of economically. How do you think that's affected you? You're a man now, fifty-five. Mm. You've been out there for about forty years, scraping mm. a living. How do you think it's moulded you? Well, it has been. Um it has been very challenging to eschew um, the um, acquisitive life of a middle-class suburban guy. And um, you get to see pretty quickly how things work. You get to understand um, economics and you get to understand 
culture and attitudes and where people's opinions come from pretty fast. If there's one thing that is um, absolutely reviled and provokes hostility in people, it's a white guy without a job, without property, and for the most part, without a car. The hatred, (laughs) the hostility, and the fear and the paranoia about a guy who seems to be, seems to be educated, white, and privileged, Mm. and I cop that a fair bit, who seems not to have a job, a house, and a car, that is a a huge nightmare for most people. Mm. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Why is he in this position? What's his addiction? Yeah, is he a junkie? No. Is he violent? No. Does he have a history of, um, has he been to prison? No. Is he stupid? No. Does he have mental illness? No. Is he philosophically um, different to, to me? Yeah. Well, I think I want to hide from this guy. Mm. Mm. And you don't get invited to dinner. What? Mercifully. <laughs> Mercifully, yeah. You've been invited to a middle, <laughs> middle Australian dinner. And you, you learn to become very uh, frugal and efficient mm. and... Um, mm. I've been lucky I've had my health for the most part. I can tell you now I've been homeless and faced the um, reality of the only bed at times, been a hospital bed. I had a kidney stone a while back and that eye surgery and a, a, you know, an injured back. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty confronting when the only sheets and pillow you have is in um, triage. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Especially when the person next to you is vomiting all over the place. It can be confronting or they're screaming their head off because they're in yeah. pain or they've got a psychiatric issue. And you don't have any rights. You don't have rights to see your children. No. Because you can't pay for that privilege, which is what our community, laughingly mm. community, requires you to do. Mm. So anyway, it's a bunch of complaints if you want to look at it right. in a cold, hard, objective way. Mm. But... Uh, I generally don't complain. Why not? Because it's a bad feeling. Or you think it's a waste of time, or you think it's a bad feeling? And people don't like hearing it, no. and they turn away pretty fast. You know the old saying. So, you know. You know, friend in need is a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's a, you know. Really, yeah. <laughs> it's the old saying. It's well, always been the old saying. Do go on. Yeah. If you don't mind, I have to leave immediately. Exactly, yeah. Nature, <laughs> na- nature calls. Now, he brought in a guitar. I did. Why? Did I see you take a knife out of your pocket? <laughs> oh, briefly. Well, you are unhappy with the questioning, are you? Yes, I wanted to cut you off. Very good. Boom, boom. My phone is, uh, the buttons fell off it, and I need to stick a metal, uh, sharp but, metal but, but, stylus into it. But I was told that every, every homeless person got a new phone and a computer. Oh, Really? Did you miss out, did you? I didn't get that. Well, <laughs> it's amazing the shit you hear, you know. Yeah. About, you know, homeless being... Homeless it's a lot of... It's been an industry <laughs> that people want to be homeless. Stories and announcements. Things. Yeah. Now, so, mm. when, did you, when did you get onto this music bug? When you were six or seven or 27 or... Oh, on and off uh, over the years uh, for a long time. And um, I started to put... Put together my repertoires into uh, albums and mm-hmm. um, record them like that. Hang on, and, uh, hang on. Repertoires. That means you're a professional musician, doesn't it? Uh, well, 
Yes, but professional means you get remunerated, mm-hmm. and I can't say that that's really. You don't get much money playing music. No, put it that way. No, you get a bit, but not much. Not much. Where have you played? Well, uh, recently I was going to play at the Toad Hotel, but it got postponed <laughs> due to COVID. Right. So that's going to happen in August now. Mm. We're in July. And at the end of this month in July, I've got um, what I'm calling a folk opera, which is a song cycle about Bonnie and Clyde. Right. So I have a band for the Toad in August, which is um, one repertoire, one set of material and a different set of material for this Bonnie and Clyde opera idea. Mm-hmm. What's your band called? So Orchids are the two-piece rock outfit for the Tote, and um, this opera is called Bonnie and Clyde, and I'm going to be uh, joined by another singer and player called Jane Cameron. Mm-hmm. And we're going to deliver these songs um, initially as a kind of cabaret-style invocation of those two characters. What drew you to these two characters? Well, they were busy wreaking havoc in a time of the 1930s in America during um, a time of really conspicuous ecological uh, disaster and economic disaster, if you'll excuse me. And um, it struck me that those themes are quite current. Mm. Uh, They always were current, of course. And I always, every sort of six months, I would write a new song about Bonnie and Clyde. It was a persistent theme for reasons that are hard to explain. And then I looked at some of the writing of uh, Bonnie Parker herself and used one of her poems and put some chords to it and uh, put them all together. So so they weren't uh, just, uh, as they've described, as uh, cold-blooded killers? Well, they certainly were. Mm-hmm. But they seemed to have a view of themselves that mitigated the the blood and the violence that was um, driven by romance and a morbid fascination with death and Mm. um, Clyde's uh, brutalisation in jail and his, you know, subsequent brutal behaviour out of jail. All kinds of of, uh, subtexts are are there set against the backdrop of... um, the Dust Bowl and um, financial crisis, banks moving in, taking people's houses and kicking them out, kicking yeah. people off farms. Mm. And the whole uh, Robin Hood dimension to the way newspapers exploited their story. Uh, working class heroes and people were both sympathetic to them and also appalled by them. Mm. Mm. And um, I think that kind of romance as it was portrayed, the kind of romance that threatens the state is uh, an interesting topic. It's interesting that you've spent so much time thinking about it, ruminating about it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a very vivid story to me. Don't know why, just very uh, visually compelling. Right. Well, it is a visually compelling story. So have have you ever found yourself overseas with your music? I have. I uh, was in um, Europe at the end of 2019. Whoa, you just made it, didn't you? I know. <laughs> October 2019, I was uh, playing shows in Berlin, Paris, and in England, specifically in England in Cornwall with uh, a band called the Cornish Wreckers. 
and uh, we also recorded an album of songs and uh, pressed it onto vinyl in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, then, of course, the whole world uh, got shut down. Right. So so I was due to return um, and continue that sort of thing, uh, shenanigans. And you found yourself out on the outer Found myself outer in Geelong West yes. in lockdown. <laughs> yes. Exciting, isn't it? But uh, I met a drummer there and uh, we made uh, something out of our uh, right. incarceration right. there. And well, would you like to regale us with something that right. you would like to, to uh, you know, regale us with? All right. Let, let's, uh, I'm going to take these headphones off. You can do what you like. And I'll let you sort of adjust the sound if you can. Yep, yep. Yeah. So uh, the young uh, Tony Antonio is grabbing his, uh, whatever they call it, a guitar. It's not an electric guitar. It's a real guitar. I think it's six strings, if I can... No, yeah, six yes, strings. six out-of-tune strings. Strings, yeah, and he's got a little devil woman on it and a, and a skull with a beard. Yes. What's that like, Kelly? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear my voice? Yep. This is a little song inspired by Jack Charles. There's a house on the hill With a tennis court and pool And a driveway wide enough For the running of the bulls The kids are at school Mum and Dad are working too It's the cleanest day off and there's a window left unlocked It's funny how The other half lived It's Christmas time And they just love to give Sunlight on the floor A bankroll in the bottom drawer Take the sun's custom stride And all of mother's 24 carat And it's out the way I came Shimmer down the drain Shoot across town To the fence and the money down It's funny how other half live It's Christmas time And they just love to give To the house on the lane Turn the oven on again Take the chill from the air And dry a shirt on the back of a chair A 
paper star and a plastic tree, applesauce and cranberry, and the pretty side of you, tearing the wrapping of somebody else's shoes. It's funny how the other half lives. It's Christmas time And they just love to give Well How lovely was that? No, no, no Look, it was commercial It's Christmas in July That's what that was all about Christmas in July My parents had a Christmas in July party yesterday My mum got really drunk uh, <laughs> she was in bed by 5pm yeah. Superb Christmas in July Wasted yeah. Look, no. She sounds like a good mother to have <laughs> She's great what, what, what has interested you The fact that you've been on the margins Is that why you're interested in marginal characters Who've had an impact on society Like Jack and Bonnie Absolutely mm. I mean who are these people in these big homes With bankrolls in their bottom drawer mm. Talking up trash about, um, you know, how productive they are and mm. how uh, hard they've worked and how they've earned all of the things that they have. Mm. And why shouldn't someone who has nothing, who's been beaten down, climb in through the window and take some of it? Mm. I mean, to hell with them. I'm tired of hearing people saying, I feel so violated. Yeah, but so, I- you know, the petit bourgeois mm. just bitching mm. and moaning about the oh. mud on their hem. Yeah, the trouble is a lot of rich people is that they actually don't get their hands dirty. It's other people who work for them. It's about it. That's what that's what money's for. Cool, yeah. It's really you do the dirty work and I'll take the certificate of bloodshed yeah, and yeah, then I'll yeah. hide it in my yeah, socks. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. You realise that during the so-called deregulation, globalisation, privatisation, corporatisation revolution that we've changed the economic relationship on its head. Forty years ago... For every dollar as an investor you're invested, two-thirds of that dollar would go to the person creating the wealth for you and one-third would go to you. Forty years later, post this neoliberal, so-called neoliberal revolution, one-third goes to the worker and two-thirds goes back to the investor and that's why they've mm. got all these, you know, these, these riches. Now... We should remind our listeners um, what they're listening to as well. Oh, yes. Look, we, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't know because this is not the normal radical Australia where I'm really nasty to the guests. This is <laughs> I'm being nice to Tony Millman, the musician, because I've been told to be nice to people who are productive <laughs> and have something to say. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Sorry for the Christmas in July song, but that's the way it is here at 3CR. It is indeed. Yeah, that was I thought. Yeah, Christmas in July. Now, you want to you want to do something about the Bonnie and Clyde opera? You're going to do. Did you want to hear a song yeah, from the yeah. Bonnie and Clyde? Are we allowed? Or is would this, you like is this to a hear world first? Yes, yeah, certainly. Oh, oh. Would you like to hear the little? Ditty, penned originally by Bonnie Parker, yes, yes. who always wanted to be on the stage, mm-hmm. imagined herself in some kind of entertainment role. Right. And I thought, well, why not take some of her text? Mm. She was an earnest poet and mm. put some chords to it and turn it into a song and sing it mm. as a tribute to her ambition. Right. So this is the first time? 
We've on radio? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All yes. right. All right, let's do that. So, Kelly, what do you reckon about that? We've got a world first, I'm you know, really, here really at... really excited. Uh, well, it's un- well, obviously you'd be excited, obviously, on radio. Tony's got a very beautiful um, singing voice. I don't he think has, his guitar he playing is as good as his... Oh, I've tried to de-emphasize my guitar playing. <laughs> yeah, I think he should be a cappella singer. What does that mean? Well, it means he sings without an instrument. He, his voice becomes his instrument. Oh, yeah, he's got a beautiful voice. Beautiful but... voice for it, yeah. So this is a song called Billy the Kid, written by Bonnie Parker, and then I threw in a bit of a chorus. If I can remember the words. <laughs> Here we go. Billy rode in on a pinto horse. That's Billy the kid, I mean. And he met Clyde Barrow driving in his little grey machine. Billy drew. His bridle rang And Clyde Barrow stopped his car And the dead man talked to the living Under the morning star Do you never get tired Raising hell Got the whole damn nation under your spell. Do you never get tired raising hell? Got the whole damn nation under your spell. Billy said to Barrow, so this is the way you ride in a car that does 90 per with machine guns at each side. I only had my pinto horse and my six guns tried and true. I could shoot straight, but they still got me. And someday, they will get you. Do you never get tired raising hell? You got the whole damnation under your spell. Do you never get tired? Raising got the whole damn nation under your spell. Those that live like you and me, we are playing a losing game for the way we shoot. And the way we ride 
is all about the same. Locks of us may never hold for death to set us free. For the living are always after you, and the dead are after me. Do you never get tired of raising hell? You got the whole damnation under your spell. Do you never get tired of raising hell? You got the whole damnation. Under your spell Well, well, Mr Tony Milman, what can we say? No wonder you played in Paris, Berlin and and Cornwall. In, and Cornwall. Well, uh, the well, home of the G7. Yeah, Cornwall. Well, they've had it. It's come and gone. You went and obviously you laid the way. You're not sure. Are you? I know now. There's something going terribly wrong. <laughs> I know now why people are suspicious. They are suspicious. I reckon. They think that you're I'm, an M M M. You're an agent. The head. I know you're a secret service. Agent, you've got the look. You got the Bonnie and Clyde, the Christmas in July. It all makes sense to me. I could, I could have I been mean, head of the CIA by now. If well, only that's I'd what that's what the jo- job you're interviewed for, won't you? <laughs> hey, I'm really worried. Have you ever thought of ditching the instruments and just using your voice in a performance? Well, I find my guitar playing, generally speaking, abrasive and annoying, which is why I retain it. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just oh, – no, 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 no. It's not that the guitar playing is abrasive or annoying. I wouldn't know. I mean, who am I to cast, <laughs> you know? But, but I think – I think – not that – you know, you've got to think of me as somebody who knows nothing about music, all right? I've never been interested because I never heard a song till I was five. You won't believe this. There was no music, no tele, no really? radio in my background, nothing, so – but I think you have something extraordinary as far as your voice is concerned. And I think maybe, maybe it's worthwhile just pursuing that, just for one show. Mm. Well, because, that is... Because um... you, you've got that storyteller resonance that captures people's imagination. I do like a good story that you can hear in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the... Um, I think we were talking earlier about the idea of a parable mm, uh, mm. being a, a, a distillation of many, uh, a distillation of some kind of wisdom or mm. truth, or perhaps complications reduced into mm. a simple mm. delivery. And sometimes songs are good for that sort of thing. Yeah, well, they are. They can take very dumb and simple um, components. But combine them with uh, yeah. some very evocative um, melodies or 
sounds. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have invited you back if you're, you know, you're a covers person. You know, <laughs> I, there's no time for covers. No, well, life is limited. You have got to be original. You do. Yeah. It's best to try and do a bad job of your own work than a good job of someone else's. I reckon. Oh yeah, I mean. Uh... Covers, covers, covers. That's all Australian artists seem to do these days. I'm sorry to say. It's a wild scene out there. What do you mean wild? What's, what's, what's wild about it? Well, you can walk past the Rosebud Hotel <laughs> and hear someone playing music to an audience who weren't even born when that music was written by some faraway American or even Australian performer right. from mm-hmm. decades ago. Mm-hmm. You can walk all the way down to Rosebud West, which is about two kilometres away, and hear some... Uh, filthy stoned uh, busker scratching for loose change singing exactly the same Cat Stevens cover in a bus shelter and I think to myself snipers where are you (laughs) (laughs) musical snipers yeah look Let's look at the professional, in inverted commas, music scene. We were told once that Melbourne was, the, you know, the be-all and end-all. What's happened to it? Well, M- Melbourne is aesthetically very fecund and complicated and um, – or a word that people might understand. It's very fertile, rich, very productive um, and uh, remarkable. Um, but it's not an industry, Which is to say it's not even a business by um, orthodox standards. It's a bunch of brilliantly creative people uh, accommodating venues so that those venues can sell booze and food. Mm. Mm. It's brilliant young people and old people also equally brilliant. Absolutely brilliant and a high concentration of a large number of truly brilliant performers whom you can see playing any night of the week normally and you can be astounded by them playing almost to empty rooms. People who go to work every day in a regular job struggle to pay the rent and spend their money producing music and delivering it to music so venues can say, we're an iconic venue. It's only $12 for a pint of beer. Mm. Come on down, sit in front of the fire and enjoy the atmosphere. Mm. And you know what? We're just a bunch of suckers. Right. Well, you need... Ex- and between guys like me and the kids who get brought in by their very, very supportive and well-meaning adults in their Volvo cars with their brand-new equipment simply to participate in the same kind of economic cul-de-sac. It's like, yeah, it's a groovy scene, but uh, the user pays. User pays. Can I ask a question? Yes. Can you, can, can you contrast that with somewhere like Berlin where you've been? Yes and no. Um, I did notice that in Berlin and Paris and in England, the idea of rapport people gathering in the room together for some purpose, some perhaps cultural purpose, is uh, venerated. And certainly there, is, there are f- hardly any financial rewards for a musician to um, show up to an audience in a venue. But that audience will sit there and listen and applaud and will do so in much greater concentration and will truly 
express their appreciation for the performance. In Melbourne, you might have 30 people showing up. 25 of them will spend the entire show in the beer garden smoking cigarettes. You might have no one showing up. I've seen well-known performers play residencies that go on for, some, in some cases, two years, playing to almost no people in well-known venues. Mm. Australians have, for example, a good, in a sense, a, a, a good situation from quarantine because people are willing to um, lose their attachment to rapport. You go to places like Berlin, Paris, Rome, London and Manchester, people will refuse the idea of staying home to their own folly and detriment and death. And Australians are quite happy to hole up in their houses, those that have them, and press buttons and go, isn't it gorgeous? Mm. I'm having meals delivered. That's right. Australians don't give a shit about rapport. Mm. They are still members of a prison colony and they are quite happy to lock themselves up. Now, to good effect in our current circumstances. But I can tell you now, it's ultimately a fairly contemptible culture. The suburban, self-isolating culture that is xenophobic and is very dismissive of anything outside its own front door, its mown lawn and the driveway that they just dig hosing down. Mm. It's the... um, I describe it as a siloed binge culture you sit there uh, it's 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 pure consumerist culture absolutely Poor. lock me up and send the bill yeah 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 you know it's pure I, consumerist i culture. can't wait for a new way to pay that bill yeah, that's right and, and I, I just find people saying oh isn't it novel yeah. i can use an app now to pay the bill cool. yeah i just spent yeah. hours negotiating yeah. on how to do yeah. it and i can i've I, got a plan yeah and i can watch my poor little uber driver arrive and then berate them because they're two minutes late. Isn't know? it gorgeous? Oh, it's just, oh. Well, it's not, my, it's not my world, but obviously being younger, it's your world. I mean, I, can't, I, can't, I don't even know what an app is. I refuse to know what an app is. I don't email. I don't Look, fax. I don't want people to defy quarantine, but I believe the reason why we, you have different ways of um, people failing and succeeding in quarantine, for example has to do with that fundamental principle of rapport through assembly and from that you get organising, you get education. Well, we've seen the disassembly of education. That's been turned into a remote um, touchscreen experience and certainly organising is now practically illegal. All of those things are absolutely connected. Yeah, look, uh, this is not this is not just a COVID nineteen thing. It was pre COVID nineteen because I was involved for a group called the Wednesday Action Group. For twenty years, we attempted to reclaim privatised public space, mm. and and it is it is an idea that has taken hold in the community that somehow something that is public is bad, and anything that is private is good. For example, Federation Square. We had our Marbo Day um, rescheduled Marbo Day celebrations last Thursday. And the police had, you know, 
contacted us and, and we were surrounded by discreet security guards because Federation Square is a privatised space. Although it was built by taxpayers' money over a billion dollars, the management has been given over to a private company. Mm. And uh, when we used to protest outside the county court, that is a private building and the space around it is privatised space. And around the city what we are seeing is that spaces, for example, Southern Cross Station, privatised space, only 90 centimetres of the footpath actually belongs to the public. The rest belongs to a private corporation which manages Southern Cross for the wow. state government. So it's it's not a new concept of privatising uh, places where people gather because when you, where people gather, you have problems. For example, today's Bastille Day, I'll give you an example. In 1871, we had the Paris Commune. It was destroyed. The Paris Commune was destroyed. Every 10th male involved was summarily executed on the spot after about a six-week battle. And when you go to Paris, you see these beautiful streets all running into the centre of the city. You know why they were created? By housemen, to to carve a path through the... Well, what happened is the, the original the original Paris was demolished after the Paris Commune was totally demolished, the working class areas, and the streets were wide enough to drag cannons uh, up and down so right. that there would never be another Paris Commune. Right. So, you know, so this concept of public space, the commons, when they closed down the commons, which was the common land which sustained people for hundreds of years to drag them into the factories as cheap labour common space, public space. So what you're talking about with COVID-19 is accelerated and, and we accept it. Mm. We accept it. Yeah, you're, you're right. So have you got any plans for the future apart from surviving and part-time work? I do. I can't talk about them. No, I. Um, my plan is to... Uh, I'm living in Rosebud mm. and my plan is to move back to Melbourne really? as soon as possible. Mm. And um, move well if you get a job at you know if you get a job you may you may be able to move well, back to I'm, Melbourne and pay rent. I'm sure as soon as this goes to where I'll be summarily dismissed. <laughs> no way, nobody will. Nobody listens. Like, nobody listens. You, you, look, nobody listens to Radical Australia except bloody Greg, and he was the only one who was listening last week. So we're right. Look, I, I'm a compulsive artist, and I will continue to make compulsive. art at my own e- expense. And um, paying the rent is rent is uh, the economic singularity and problem of our current society. Rent Mm. is everything. That's Mm. what I say. So rent is a problem for me. Um, I'm coming back to Melbourne because I work a lot, collaborate a lot with other artists in and around Melbourne and it just is convenient. Um, It means that I don't have to drive long distances like you do, for Mm. example, to do your work. Yep. Um, mm. You know, I'll just record some more albums and um, I'll just try and stay healthy and uh, positive. And, uh, you know, I don't have any great ambitions, to be honest. Mm. Well, you do have a great ambition and your great ambition is not the type of ambition other people have. You have an ambition to create. I do like to make up a good story. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tony, can you see the Ballerine Peninsula from Rosebud? Tell me which one is the Ballerine. Well, across the water. You're on the Mornington. Sometimes Ballerine's on a clear across. day you can see the buildings of Melbourne. Oh. I don't think I can see the Ballerine. 
yeah. where the ferry crosses. But the you know? ferry, yeah, Queenscliff. Once you're on the ferry, mm. I think about when you're halfway across, you can definitely see Geelong, and vice versa. From Geelong to Sorrento, you can see back. Mm. My eyesight's not great, mm. so it, maybe it is possible to see that far because they're very close. They curve around. Oh, yeah. I often go down to Point Lonsdale, oh, which yeah. is on the Ballerine, and it's mm. it's just across the water. It's like a couple of k's. It's right there. It's in right the there, isn't it? Portsea mm. and Sorrento, all the flash mm. joints and all the old army yes. stuff that's down yeah, there. Yeah, the fort. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that ferry ride. It's yeah. very expensive, though. It's too expensive. If you put a car on, it's expensive. Yeah. But I think yeah. let's, let's move on to something like, right. a bit more substance. Right. A bit more substance. <laughs> Come on. We're talking to a man who's creative and Kelly talks about the Ballerine Peninsula and looking across the ocean. Oh, well, she's in the room. It's yeah, Well, that's a, if that's her only it's contribution. P- it's part of our gathering today yeah. and that's uh, what we're well, talking about. No, it's part of your gathering, not mine. Because oh, I'm interested in pursuing this thing about culture mm. and creativity mm. because you know i've been to some societies like japan and south korea where people like you are actually on the public payroll mm. yes I mean, they I mean, have a system they there. have a system there where somebody's good at something which starts does, at the top with the national treasure yeah yeah and then there are stratified that's right um uh, places in that cultural hierarchy f- for acknowledgement and support that's right and so what it means is that if you've got talent as a little kid, that talent can be supported by the taxpayer and the state. Mm. It doesn't mean that they tell you. I mean, it could just be leatherwork. I've got a little wallet, uh, and it's exquisite leatherwork, which I was given as a present by, um, believe it or not, South Korean anarchists when I went there. And it was designed and created by what they described as a national cultural treasure Mm. and so what happens in those societies that people who are creative are supported so they don't have to worry about the rent Mm. you can actually instead of spending 90 percent of their time raising money for the rent and 10 percent of their time being creative they can spend a hundred percent of their time being creative as far as their art is concerned yes it's an interesting system yeah very interesting well, I would like to see all of the uh, arts funding given to me and I could go around every night of the week giving money to great artists whom I have never met before, mm. night after night, 365 days a year mm. and dispense funding that way. I mean, there are people like me who go out on cold winter nights or hot summer nights and stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, watching people perform or doing what they do. And that is the cultural work that is part of what's required mm. for a culture to be supportive, in, in the sector of music in particular. But, I th- you know, we have state-funded things like operas and the Arts Council but that's different. They're, they're, they're fossilised organisations. They essentially are. And I know that, the, yeah, for example, people, young kids in uh, Tokyo will tell you that you know, Japanese culture is a dead culture. Mm. But the idea of supporting artists is a good idea as far as I'm concerned. 
because otherwise we're just making souvenirs and paying paying someone else's rent. Yeah, doing covers, cultural covers. Thank you very much, Mr. Millman. And thank you for your hospitality. Thank you, young Kelly, and thank you, the billions of listeners listening to this program. I can assure you, you will be a household name, Tony. Ta-ta. Boldness, campaigning for human rights for people with disabilities. Join us every third Wednesday of the month at 6pm on 3CR. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival returns with a huge showcase of factual filmmaking. Highlights include Cry of the Forests, a look at WA's sacred southwest forests and the activists trying to protect them. Mental as Anything, a heartwarming story about what it's like to live with mental illness. The Price of Truth, a look at Julian Assange and WikiLeaks with never-before-seen interviews. And many more. July 21st to 31st at Cinema Nova. A 3CR supporter. Jazz. 
The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a short from my dark eyes. Hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.